What's up, Two Dope Nation? Hey, I don't know about you, but I really enjoy going to conferences. In fact, I think um, a lot of you um, may have met me and Kevin at a conference somewhere um, in this nation here in the United States of America. Um, there are some really great conferences happening this wintertime, including a dope uh, DEIB forum in Philadelphia. Uh, DEIB, for those of you who... Um, have your heads down and are unable to keep up with the latest lingo stands for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Really like that next level there. Carney Sando and Associates helps educators find job experiences that support their goals as teachers and or school administrators. An education recruiting firm working with K-12 independent, private, and charter schools across the globe, Carney Sando & Associates provides a free personalized job search service. Right now, Carney Sando is inviting educators to their annual DEIB conference in Philadelphia at the end of January to take part in a two-day hiring and professional development symposium to support schools' equity and inclusion work. Please visit CarneySando.com slash 2Dope. That's C-A-R-N-E-Y-S-A-N-D-O-E dot com slash T-O-O-D-O-P-E to schedule a time to speak with a member of their team and to learn more about this event. Hey, what's good, everybody? Hey, are you an educator struggling with time and money? I mean, are we all? <laughs> well, I want you to meet my friend Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors, and he's here to help. Specializing in working with educators, Alex understands the challenges we face from low pay to complex retirement systems. His team specializes in holistic financial planning, focusing on your goals and creating actionable plans to improve your chances of success. Visit his website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash T-O-O-D-O-P-E to schedule an initial virtual consultation with Alex. Mention the code 2 on your meeting and receive 25% off their subscription-based financial planning packages. You can get more info and a link to their website in the podcast description. Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC, Insurance Agency, LLC. Member, F-I-N-R-A slash S-I-P-C. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC. California insurance license number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203 Monrovia, California 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 3 
pseudo content that you can ever imagine getting up here in this place. Um, we are the most dangerous podcast in the schoolhouse. We are remixing the conversation on race, power, and education, and we're bringing you stories every day um, that uh, that we think are meaningful and impactful for you. Um, if you're new to the show, um, welcome. Welcome to Pudope Nation. We have uh, we have open borders, citizenship to everybody. Uh, we don't make you make any decisions. You can have double, triple, quadruple citizenship uh, along with your citizenship to Pudope Nation. Um, if you are a social media person, we do most of our engagement on Instagram these days at Tudope Teachers. We're also on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Tudope Teachers. You can also hit us up on Facebook.com slash Tudope Teachers and a mic with all all of the requisite hyphens and of course if you want to send us an email as many of you have um two teachers at gmail.com i'm executive producer and a host at Argo muñoz and um i'm just really excited to be here man y'all don't even know there's so much great content coming our way um in the next few weeks um we're getting amazing requests from people and then we have incredible guests uh, legends in their respective games, like the man I have sitting on the other side of the camera right now, the imminent, the legendary Donnie L. Betts. Donnie, how are you? Oh, my goodness. Wow. I don't know what to do after that. <laughs> you know, I'm just honored to be here with you, my friend. Yes. Man, y'all, you don't you don't even know. You're about to know. Um, you don't even know how special this man on the other side of the camera is to me um so i'm going to take you back uh, donnie i didn't tell you i was going to do this but i'm going to do this um so i'm going to take you i'm going to take everybody back to the 1990 91 school year that was my freshman year at Ooh. the manual high school i was Ooh. in ninth grade yes, yes. um and, you know, like a lot of ninth graders from the neighborhood, I didn't have a ton of direction. Like I did what I was supposed to do. I went to class, did all that kind of stuff, but didn't really get involved in a whole lot of activities. Um, and then in the late winter, I want to say, I happened to be just hanging out in the hallway, uh, sitting on the floor after school. Um, and this man comes out really tall you know, kind of big presence of a man comes out of the auditorium. He says, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know, which is probably really true. I probably didn't know what I was doing. I was 15. And um, he says, why don't you come be in a play? And I was like, all right, I got nothing else to do. And so I wander in there. That man is the man I am interviewing today, Donnie Betts. So um, the play was this incredible musical that the students had co-written with uh, playwright Ken Grimes called Ain't No Grave. Um, this was like Donnie when when I went back for my master's degree and I learned about Augusto Boal and the theater of the oppressed and mm. all of these different ideas. I realized how powerful that story was because Dr. Justina Warren Ford um, was the first black woman doctor in the state of Colorado. Uh, yeah. Her house was in my neighborhood. It was turned into the Black American West Museum, and she delivered something like 9,000 babies, mostly mm -hmm. for free in that time. And just bringing those stories out of the community um, was so powerful. Um, Donnie, I got to tell you, um, I think being in that show was life altering for me, um, mm -hmm. because as you know, I went on to stay on the stage and. Um, 
until I graduated high school and um, I even got the student direct under you. So, so y'all, we talk about the great teachers that we've had in our lives. Um, this man is one of the greatest teachers I ever had in my life. Donnie Betts, welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you. I don't know what I deserved of all that, but <laughs> I appreciate it. I really do appreciate it. That was, those, that was a good time. It's a good time in Manual High School, you know, with Miss C, um, um, CB, you know, gave me an opportunity to work with some outstanding students who have gone on to have great careers of their own with whatever their respective fields are. He had a chance to work with my son who was attending Manual at that time too. And, you know, I think at the, you know, um, Leah Johnson, who's gone on to be successful yeah. in her career yourself. Um, so it was just, it was just a very honored. I've always been honored to get a chance, a chance to work with students. And I'm working with students yeah. again now at UC Denver in acting and also yeah. in a class called Drama Diversity, which is about representation mm. in the media. So um, yeah. as you said, just going on and, and finding out about how theater and the arts can be uh, a life-changing force, a change agent in people's lives. So thank you again for having yeah. me. Yeah. Absolutely. This is just cool. Um, you know, it, and you, you mentioned some of the folks who, who've gone on to do some pretty great things. I've learned in, um, after 23 years of teaching, how critical student voices, and I think a lot of that work that I started to do as a teacher, um, you know, pretty much throughout my career, um, was informed by just being in a theater department where we had a voice and we were given the uh, the opportunity to create the art that we wanted to create. Um, mm -hmm. Such powerful stuff, and um, yeah, and uh, I just remember lots of uh, lots of trips to good times with your son, uh, and uh, <laughs> going and getting that that fast food and and hanging out <laughs> and um, having a good time. Uh, he DJed my daughter's quinceanera, so it just goes to show that how those mm -hmm. ties within um, our communities truly bind. Um, I want to kind of start at the beginning, sort yeah. of, um, because we're going to talk about your film, Resisting. Um, yeah. And and I have a funny story around that too. Not not the film, it's not funny at all. Um, but I've, I have a story around just kind of how we ended up there that evening. But um, you, you have been this towering figure in, particularly in the Denver theater, community but I want to know what it was that how you found yourself in the performing arts and especially in theater well let's go back to your your conversation about how I recruited you <laughs> I was recruited I was recruited almost the same exact way when I was in high school wow you know so that's that's the irony there I was um there we go yeah so we had I grew up in a little small town called DeKalb Texas um population at that time probably was under 2000. Um, it's probably the same or probably less now because all those little towns in that area in Northeast Texas kind of kind of joined together and different things because of necessity, uh, mainly because of work or, you know, they've been bought, their businesses have been bought out by larger corporations, that sort of stuff. Right. But I was in high school, a high school junior, maybe going into my senior year, and we had always had student teachers. And um, so this student teacher was from Prairie View A&M, historically black uh, college. Um, my school was um, was primarily, primarily um, well, it wasn't primarily black because we had integrated by the time my senior year it was. Mm -hmm. But this mm -hmm. uh, teacher was from Prairie View A&M. 
long and tall, but female. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, attracted my attention, you know, being a young man, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she came and approached myself and other football players because I was on the football team. Okay. And asked if any of us wanted to be in this play uh, because she needed like big, big people you know, big guys. She yeah. wanted to, she had this idea. She wanted to do something very funny. So she wanted to dress the guys, you know, with powdered wigs and that sort of stuff. You know, uh, it was a comedy. I can't even remember the name of the show, but uh, everybody else said, nah, nah, I don't want to do that. I said, well, yeah, do I get a chance to work with you every day? She said, you're right. <laughs> yes. He said, yeah, I said, I'm in. You know, so, there you go. Many a no, young my, man has been wooed to the theater in such a way. <laughs> so that's how I first got started. Then it just continued wow. when I went to college. Even uh, I played sports in college too. But we also had a group um, because I had a, in my college we had suite mates. You know, um, mm. four four to a suite. Yeah, there's yeah. always oddballs in there. You know, so one was an oddball. <laughs> yeah. We never saw that person. <laughs> The other two, <laughs> one was a poet, one was a musician who also yep. played on the Okay. Team. And we formed a little group. Um, oh, man, I love that. Yeah. When we were growing up, we the very hot group was the last poets. So the oh, last poets. Yes. Their thing. So we fashioned ourselves after that. So like I said, a sax player, myself, I wrote some poetry, did a little bit of spoken oh, word at man. that time. And uh, we had a, you know, Congo player who I played a little bit of Congos and we were playing yeah. these different, different little clubs around the, um, West Texas. It was in oh, San Angelo, man. Texas. So West That's Texas, nobody, nobody ever seen anything like that. You know, it's an all country, no. you know, cowboys <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, you know, but we had a little following, you know, we made a little money on the side yeah. too and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that really piqued my interest. And I mm -hmm. said, listen, this is really what I want to do. I don't think I want to, you know, go out there and be beat up, you know, every few days playing football. I think yeah. I something yeah. else to get my applause, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's what I started doing. So I continued doing yeah. that and, and um, I jumped into radio. I loved radio. Mm -hmm. um, so I started doing radio at the college radio station there in San Angelo. Then I transferred to Fresno State. I did uh, the station in Fresno, California. So that led me into the arts. You know, I just started whenever yeah. I could do a, a piece of theater, I would do theater. When I moved to Denver, I continued. You know, I didn't. I hadn't intended to do theater when I when I moved to uh, Colorado. I just wanted to work. Is that right? And graduate school. You know, I, I started school and I left several times because of family things. You know, I was the sure. youngest in the family, and I um, uh, I was tasked for my family to take care of my sister because one of my sisters was being abused by her husband. So that's why I ended up in Fresno, California. And they said, we I need you to, to be the buffer between those two. Um, yeah, I ended up moving pretty, to- Pretty good sized buffer there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he was a big dude too. You know, so, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but I moved to Denver because, you know, between the cops coming over every few, few weeks and they fi finally told me and said, well, one, you need to either move or something's going to happen, you know? And right. I said, okay, well, let me just move. And, you know, other stories in between that, but I moved it to Denver and sure. um, started to work um, at, um, I worked for Safeway for a while. And then I worked for, right. um, there was a jazz station here called KADX before. KADX. Yeah. Okay. 
And um, <clears throat> so I started doing sales for them, but I also wanted to try to get on air because I've been on air in mm -hmm. Fresno. And uh, right. never was able to get on air, but I was keeping my radio feet into the into the sea there. So of radio. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. when I moved from KDX to Kubo, created my own show called The Eclectic, which I still have. Uh, yep, yes, yes, you do. Now. So The Eclectic was doing articles uh, and stories on different artists. And um, mm -hmm. so that's how I kept my, kept my feet wet in that. And then, you know, my, my ex-wife was a singer and performer. So I started taking her to rehearsals. And the director there, John McCallum, said, we'd love for you to be in this play. <laughs> kind of like <laughs> recruited once again. <laughs> yeah, the there play, you go. The play was the musical version of The Hobbit before anybody had ever done anything. <laughs> oh, man. I was going to say, kind of going back to the to the powdered wig thing, like yeah. it was, that might have been Hamilton before Hamilton. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Prob probably man, ahead was, of his time. You know? <laughs> so a musical version of The Hobbit. I love this idea. <laughs> It was incredible. It was uh, multi-generational, wow. multi-ethnic. And we did mm -hmm. it at a place called Community House, which is on 28, uh, 2828 Fairfax, which is not there anymore. Okay. So it's yeah. renovated and to be something else, you know, apartments. Yeah. And um, But this, John McCallum was a visionary. He wrote so many plays. He, he founded the Demo Black Arts Company. So that's mm -hmm. how I really got started, the Demo Black Arts Company with a lot of people who are still doing things or retired or that kind of stuff. So myself, Jimmy Walker, Hugo Sells, uh, Cheryl McCallum, who a lot of people might know from uh, doing just finishing up um, a show down at the Denver Center. She's done it. She was on The Lion King for 14 seasons. Uh, oh, wow. Know, okay. So yeah. sort, of, sort of thing. So uh, just a whole cast of characters there. Uh, Joe yeah. Hill was had her company. Um, uh, movement free dance company and um so yeah i mean so i started doing doing plays with them and then i transitioned to doing stuff at bonfie's theater uh with henry mm -hmm. lowenstein um and from there um did we formed our own company called city stage ensemble that's a long okay, answer yeah. to your short question it's okay. a no it's a great it's a great <laughs> answer I, I love i love the history because what what i'm realizing is um I don't know. I guess I thought theater just started with you. Um, <laughs> <endeavor>. <laughs> um, no, but it, like, it's, it's so cool because like I, I'm, my training is in history. That's what I, yes. that's what I taught for over 20 years. And so yeah. as you sort of put these pieces together, the names are starting to get a little bit more familiar. Like I remember the Denver black arts company. So yes. now I want, I want you to continue with this, with yeah. this response. This is great. Well, you mentioned Ken Grimes. That's where we first met with the Denver black arts company. In fact, once John moved to New York, Ken took over the Denver Black Arts Company. Mm -hmm. Ken, as you said, was an amazing writer. Unfortunately, we just lost yeah. him about, you know, about we a month ago. Um, yeah. But he was just a tremendous talent as a writer. And he wrote Ain't No Grave, which you mentioned in your introduction, about Dr. Justina Ford. Um, yeah. Same here, I have a true love of history. So not only was I doing theater, but I also was trying to make uh, short videos uh, of historical figures. So yeah. Dr. Ford was one of those. Also, I did a film about the all black town of Deerfield, Colorado, uh, 25 miles. My, fir my first and only film credit. 
Well, there you go. That's right. You were in that. Yes. <laughs> I was in that. <laughs> we're always tied together. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. And we, we, yeah, we keep finding yeah. each other, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that love of history always has been there between us, you know? So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, um, that's why I started doing, uh, uh, you know, a lot of theater. Um, and then eventually I was recruited to come down to the Denver Center Theater Company. I was doing a, a show uh, which later became uh, City Stage Ensemble, uh, one of the co-founders of that um, uh, with Dan Heaston, David Jones, who David Jones, who we just unfortunately lost about two months ago. Um, great writer, one of the first writers in the Denver Center uh, Theater when they had a writing um, division. <clears throat> he was one yeah. of the first writers there. Um, so from there, you know, just started doing show after show after show as an actor. And I uh, really loved that, you know, from 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 a Denver Center, from City Stage Ensemble, then started working other theaters around town, Nevada Center, did a uh, Driving Miss Daisy, way too young to do the role, but I did the role. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, now, I'm, now I'm of the age that I should be. It's kind of um, like King Lear, right? Like right. It, it, once once you hit a certain age, it's a very demanding role. Right, right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah, but when you're yeah. young, you know, you go, oh wow, I can do this. You know, you don't even think about it. You know, <laughs> so that's right. But yeah, that's uh, that kind of my it was my life um, starting out in theater. You yeah. know, and, you know, yeah. continue to get hired and lucky enough to be hired by people, and um, and then I decided that let, let me move on to from acting to more to directing um so that's yeah. really more of what i do now so yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah just thank you for that um for that description there's just so much there that um that's just so inspirational to me it's just because i think that one thing that i learned from my time in you know high school theater and it's really funny like people kind of look at you crazy and i was like oh yeah and no, i did high school theater and they're like okay yeah. well, whatever that is <laughs> but honestly it's like one of the most impactful things i i did in any part of my education because i think it taught me to communicate it taught me how to just create a person when you're up on the stage and doing that kind of thing and yeah. you know i think obviously i can say you know, acting is very helpful when you're teaching middle school. Um, oh my <laughs> God. Yes. Act like act like these children aren't driving you crazy. Act like you're not about to snap, like that kind of thing. But I think also the 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 power of self expression. Um, I, I think that it's something that a lot of a lot of folks that I taught with just never had. And I mm. have to say that it had to have been because of that. I think the other thing that's really that I think is really amazing about you is how through it all you've you've managed to keep the arts like in your life and mm -hmm. and it's and you know what i hear in that first part of the story is that you were just kind of you were you were staying as connected as you could and i think that's also something that's really beneficial for you know a lot of us are starting to finally like in our 40s starting to say hey maybe i have some things i'm interested in maybe yes. i need to pursue and um and i think it's just really encouraging to hear this this story of of just keep it close keep it nearby it's yeah. not always going to be hugely impactful you cash isn't going to be falling out of the sky every day but yeah. you're going to have or any day um, you're going to <laughs> <Thank> have you. <laughs> 
there's gonna be like there's gonna be like ebbs and flows right um yes. and you you just keep it with you um you mentioned the power of history and the power of culture yes. and i don't think all all artists see it this way um but you're definitely an artist who sees performance art as 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 capable of moving us into the direction of change and healing um yes. can you talk a little bit about that power that you see when it comes to whether it's been the the radio work you've done the stage work you've done the directing the film um what is it that that performance art can do to promote change that maybe we miss in other arenas i think for me what I've tried to do is connect everything that I feel that I'm capable of doing, which is theater, film, as you mentioned, radio, podcast. <clears throat> also, um, being able to speak with groups, especially young people, um, and keeping history in there. I even worked for a while at History Colorado as, as a guest curator on certain things. Uh, race, are we so different? Was one, I was one of the people that worked on that. Uh, it was a traveling exhibit. I also worked, um, created a uh, an event called 1963 to 2013. So that's when it was. Mm. Those years, covering those years, those I think pivotal year of 1963. So many things happened in 1963 um, when it came to the human rights movement, civil rights movement, Southern freedom movement, whatever name you want to give it. What happened in between those years impact people? So for me, I try to create work that has an impact to be an agent of change, an agency of change. And that by choosing material that is relevant for the time, but also having a taste of history in there so that people will know that something came before that and something's gonna come after that, but you have to honor both of those. And I've never been one to think that I knew it all, uh, as some people mm. might think they know it all. Yeah. I'm always willing to learn. You know, you mentioned uh, teaching middle school, so for going in and doing workshops in middle schools. You know, yeah. working to organization like Think Three Sixty, which is, uh, yeah. which was, was young audiences, uh, but being able to connect with young people there, teaching now at uh, CU Denver, um, taught for a while at UNC at Metro being yeah. able to stay connected to the next generation. In some cases, when it comes to like yeah. natural and places like that, it's you teaching people that are your generation too, and younger, because these are working mm. class uh, universities, you know, not, yeah. you know, like yep. at CU Boulder, which is students coming in, That's right. you know, coming in that way. So by using those things that I am capable of and think I'm kind of good at, um, yeah. <laughs> it helps me make that change. But then I think yeah. being being connected to the community, what's happening in your community that you can do that can help your community. Yeah. And I was so I was telling my class the other day, you know, the, the drama diversity class, which um so one of the students asked me, because we were told we were talking about reparations. And they said, Well, I want to know what can what can I do? What can I do? And I said, you have to it, you use the old phrase where well, you have to get in where you fit in. If, you, if, if your protest is something you can do, then you protest. 
if you're a letter writer or in this case, you know, can use social media, then you do that. Okay. Or a simple thing is taking gloves and shoes and things like that to somebody out on the street. But do something. Yeah. Standing on the sideline doing nothing is not acceptable. No. So that's what I think art can do too. So I can make a film. I can produce a director play. I can produce podcasts that talk about the issues. Yeah. That's where I fit in. So that's why I try to do that too. Or I can have a, a forum where we can have that difficult conversation about yeah. things. Um, that's getting in where I fit in. So everybody yeah. has to try to use that strength. Uh, and I think yeah. that's what I've been trying to do and letting people know that whatever you do is valid, you know, but yeah. not doing anything. That's, that's where the problem comes in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I don't know yeah. if that answers that's your question. Absolutely. I see art as a tool for change. I mean, it always has yeah. been, you know, from the time at first we know about it, from the Egyptians to the Greeks and Romans to, mm-hmm. you know, Shakespearean time to, you know, uh, the traveling, you know, even though they may have been derogatory, the minstrels, you know, yeah, entertainment, yeah. but they, some people use them as a way to make change, you know. That's right. You look at the, the Southern Freedom Movement. What did they use? They used song. Yeah. I knew song to make change. You know, I had an interview yeah. for my podcast the other day with uh, Ruta, Ruta B. Harris. Ruta Harris is one of the original freedom singers. And okay. people will tell you, without the songs of the movement, that may, have yeah. been, that may not have been a movement because they yeah. soothed and healed and moved people forward, you know? And using those old spirituals and changing the words, you know, yeah. you know, instead of woke up this morning, my mind played on Jesus, woke up this morning, my mind stayed on freedom. That's right. That's you right. know what I mean? So that gives people the yeah. motivation to step right out there and face those dogs yeah. and hoses and things like that. Now we have to do that with yeah. Black Lives Matters, you know, uh, so the poetry is driving movements like Black Lives Matters and spoken word and that sort of thing. Yeah. But you need things like you need the art. Murals yeah. are driving, you know, so we got visual art. Um, yeah. So art always is the leader when it comes to change in my mind. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think to all of that. And when you, when you talk about the freedom singers, it also makes me think of the Teatro Campesino during the Chicano movement. The, yes. The farm workers who had never, yes. ever dreamt of taking the stage. And I remember an interview with, um, Luis Valdez, who, yes, you know, just who founded the, <laughs> exactly right. I mean, he, he, he founded the Teatro Campesino, went on to become just an, an immensely impactful playwright. Yeah. Um, but he talked about how it was a reciprocal relationship between performance art and um, organizing for, for rights, yes. because as they, got more comfortable especially he said especially when the workers would play the role of the boss um that it made them better organizers because they were able to kind of get into the psyche of these uh grape growers and um and actually oh this is the approach we should take so i thought of that real quick i love that you're saying that art is art leads change that 
Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of hip hop and hip hop being one of the one of the most powerful, you know, cultural phenomena of the 20th century. And and watching how the rest of the world has reacted to it, even even 50 years later, um, is pretty amazing. And I think um, but people tend to put the 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 uh, the horse behind the cart. Uh, we tend to treat the arts, especially in our schools, as something that is extra if you have time for it, if you have funding for it. But but really, art should be leading um, leading the work that we do. Um, yes. Not enough spoken word poetry in DPS Central. I'll just tell you that right now where I work. <laughs> so okay. it's a okay. thing that is not happening enough. But um, uh, in a second, I'm going to ask you to talk about this latest project, Resisting. I had an opportunity yes. to um, to see a teaser for it. And, uh, you know, it was really powerful. Before I do that, I just want to invite all of my people's um, if you are looking for a way to build some generational wealth, um, my friends Tori and Alex think they have um, have a really good um, sort of uh, equation for that. So Satera uh, Investors sponsors this show. And um, these guys, uh, man, they're younger than me and you, Donnie, like by a lot, like the, these folks just out of, got out of college a couple of years ago. Um, these it. are folks who are really diving in and uh, especially uh, Alex, who is really he's first generation college graduate. Um, his parents, Tori's parents didn't have um, generational wealth to pass on. And so that's actually become their kind of life goal. So um, if y'all go to toryandalex.saterainvestors.com slash two dope um, and you just click on a um, click on the link for a consultation, um, you'll get 25% off. So check them out. We actually are looking forward to hosting uh uh, Alex and Tori separately. Uh, Tori has a podcast um, that seeks to empower women entrepreneurs of color, which is super dope. And uh, so, yeah, stay tuned here. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, you know, Alex and Tori shout out. So, so funny thing happened a few weeks ago. I lose track of my emails all the time. I have no idea who they came from or what they're about. And um, we have a mutual friend uh, at Redline. And um, I got this, um, I got this, uh, this email that said, "Hey, would be really great if you and your wife could come over to this event." And um, I was like, "Say less, like you know, love Fred, love Donna, great people." And I'm like, "Yeah, we'll go. That sounds like fun." And so Claudia asks me, she's like, "So, wh what are we going to?" I'm like, "I'm not really sure, uh, but but Fred and Donna invited us. It's been really, um, it's just been really hectic in both of our jobs." And we walk in and they're standing in front of me is Donnie Betts and <laughs> um, who I'm always happy to see. And what we were doing there was getting to know your new film resisting a little bit. And this, 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 this film, the, the segment that I, that I saw of it was powerful, visceral, just so deeply emotional. Um, tell us a little bit about it, about the film and what you're hoping um, resisting will will manifest in those who watch it. Wow, great question. Thank you. And thank you again for being there. Thank you to Fred and Donna, you know, that whole connection. Oh, just, man. So yeah. amazing. Yeah, I met Donna a few years ago when I was at um, History Colorado, you know, from her writings about okay. South Africa. And uh, yeah. I did met, met Fred, about, you know, just over the course of the summer when I was next door to them doing Theater of the Mind, uh, a mercy piece written by um, David Byrne. 
or the talking heads. And so they who, all, who my uh, daughter met in Denver when he was see? doing that. Yeah. yeah Cause she was working for the uh, museum of contemporary art as yes. a gallery attendant. And so she got, um, she got assigned to work at the, uh, at the holiday for yes. the event and and she and her colleagues and this is why gen z is so great because they know who david byrne is so <laughs> he walks in and they're all like david byrne just like walked in just came in just you know came right in just like another person there so yeah. <laughs> so yeah definitely uh yeah. very exciting so you, you had he met through the, yeah he loves the art you know in fact he had he had yeah. texted me and said hey i just met somebody from denver you know and i said oh yeah he said yeah jordan castile uh, you know, the visual artist, Jordan Castile, <laughs> he had gone to see one of her shows, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, Jordan's just blown up, you know, featured in the New York Times and all that kind of good stuff, you know, uh, Malcarta. I love that you're getting Malcarta, texts from uh, yeah, David Byrne. Yeah. So we're getting, uh, we're getting, uh, we're getting distracted, but that's okay. That's, that's where this whole connection is. So about the yeah. film testing. So it's the film yeah. I've been working on for like four and a half years now. And the impetus was uh, all the police killings that's going on around the country, especially of young uh, men and women of color. So once again, what can I do as an artist? Um, I had worked on a film, earlier film called The Holly, uh, which uh, yeah. the, the lead protagonist is uh, Terrence Roberts, who ran recently for mayor, but also was a former gang member and um, a gang activist. Um, so I produced that. Uh, we're, on, we're on a long list for Oscar consideration, by the way, for the Holly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was before that. I had already started to work on my film, Resisting. It was called Stop Resisting at the time. Um, and I said, okay, let me just I'll work on this film with you too. Julian Rubenstein is the director. Um, but I said, I have to really focus on my film. My film is right. about the use of force in America. Uh, and what the other root causes and what can be a possible solution, a possible solutions. So, but I want to tell it from a different perspective. One is a perspective yeah. of uh, generational trauma that it causes family, generational trauma that it causes police officers that inflict, inflict this um, use of force, generational trauma that it causes cities because the cities have to pay for it, i.e. we as taxpayers have to pay for any kind of settlement that it goes right. down. That's we right. had to pay for That's those right. quote unquote bad apples. There's no bad apples, a whole bad orchard, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's right. So um the film is about that. It's about the use of force, but told from those perspectives. So what you saw in this sample was um starting with where I live, which is Aurora, Aurora, Colorado. So we talk about the different uh, cases that are here. Uh, most recently, I've been sitting in the courtroom for the three trials of uh, for Elijah McClain. So those officers that have been accused of um, killing this young man. So what happens? Is it that hyper masculinity that happens in training that comes from being ex-military folks that comes from fraternities, maybe may come from just the way we raise young men? Um, so I want to look at it from that perspective. I want to look at it yeah. now how mothers and families and loved ones deal with the loss of that individual, that generational trauma I'm talking about. Yeah. I want to look at what policies can be done. I mean, we had a few minor bills passed here in Colorado, SB 217 being one. Uh, so talk to the people who 
uh, passed that Senate Bill 2117 that stopped uh, the use of chokeholds. Although, as you know, Elijah yeah. McClain, uh, this was, yeah. um, after he was already killed, he was put in a chokehold. Um, they used to make sure that body cameras are worn and make sure there's um, uh, just no more use of force like that. Yeah. So looking at that, looking at also the history, where do we come from in order to get to where we are today? So that it started way before George Floyd. It started way before Elijah McClain. started way before Breonna Taylor. Um, you know, yeah. before all these high-profile cases that you heard about, well, there must be a thousand more that you never heard about, starting from the 1700s on up. So I want to go through that. There's a few films that have done that, but I want to tell that even more uh, in yep. depth and talk about those change makers at that time, like Ida B. Wells, people like that who are fighting against this kind of use of force in that in the 1800s. And then what are solutions? Are they more like um, the the different um, programs that they have now that they don't send out police officers, they send out mental health workers, they, they send out um, people who deal with, um, instead of using force on somebody and tasing somebody, they have a conversation with them, or they take them to the hospital, or see what's going on, you know, is that the solution? That's part of it, yes. But yeah. how do we get that before it gets to that stage? How do we talk right. to people before it gets there? So I'm looking at all yeah. that. So it's, it's a big film. So it may yeah. be, three, it's going to be in three parts uh, that talks about yeah. what's happening today, the history, and then what's the future of policing is. Because people have to understand that every time somebody gets hurt like that, there are consequences paid by the community. And people don't see it that way because they don't see the big picture. They see all oh, this, this person happen, but that sets a tone for the next person that might get stopped for no particular reason. Busted tail like walking down the street looking funny, looking funny because yeah. you don't look like them, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, and in this era of social media, too, um, you know, we all have these, um, these neighborhood Facebook pages, right? And one of the things that's been really disturbing to me is they they built some affordable housing right nearby about two blocks not even two blocks like a block away from from where i live which is exciting to me because it brings diversity in and right. we see i'm seeing people of color in my neighborhood i'm also seeing people posting on the facebook page oh there's some people over here looking suspicious and so i called the police um right. there's this car that's been sitting here for longer than what i think is normal so i called the police and just the quickness with which people will will involve law enforcement where it's not necessarily merited um, right. is incredible to me. And of course, the more police are called, the more people call the police and right. uh, the right. more we make everything a law enforcement problem. And it really shouldn't be. I mean, because they're, they're, they're... They're not trained for most of the things that happen that they have to answer and respond no. to. Did I hear somewhere it's like six weeks of training to become a police officer in most areas? Well, see, like it's in the United States, it's it's ridiculous. In the United States, you know, man. Yeah. So places like Denmark or places like that, you know, you go a couple of years mm -hmm. um, because the issue here is guns. Hundred percent. So. Jalen Walker in on Ohio was shot at 87 times. He was struck 46 times. In Finland, 
2015-2016, the police discharged their weapon a total of 17 times. 17 shots. Wow. And here we can have... In, in one calendar year. In one calendar two years. year. Here we can unload... You know, we can unload, I don't know how many, you know, because we have automatic weapons, you have, you yeah. know, rifles, we have uh, tanks, uh, we have yeah. helicopters, all that, all that, all that ex-military gear is now available to police officers, yeah. because after all these wars that we had, what they do, they give them or sell them to police departments. And um, yeah. I'm just reading about, you know, Daryl Gates um, started the first SWAT yeah team you know out of yeah. LA, out of LA riots. in LA yeah so yeah. that has impact on us today you know so you have yeah. that that mil you know the whole use of terminology in, in policing is um military you know sergeant yeah. lieutenant um you know that commanding replicating officers, those you know? structures yep. exactly exactly and that's that's a problem that's a real problem yeah. So, so it's inbred yeah. in the culture. So the film was trying to talk about it, kind of let people know maybe some of the things that they don't know, kind of pull back the curtain for some of those things yeah. like that. You know, I think people might kind of have an idea, but not really know. Um, yeah, that's right. And then, and then by covering the trial, I'm trying to find out um, and let people know what happens in a trial. You know, why yeah. more officers are not convicted. I mean, you, you know, yeah. you got three that's been accused and two have walked already, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to convict someone here. You know, they think it's seen as heroes. Yeah. And um, what's the old saying? Hero ain't nothing but a sandwich. You know. So, it's, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, and 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 to that point around um, generational traumas, a couple of things that you mentioned that kind of stick out to me. I mean, yeah, yeah, and so for for those who. I don't know if why you haven't noticed if you're in Denver, but um, but Nathan Woodyard acquitted in uh, the death of Elijah McClain's six days ago, I think, yes. just not yes. too long ago that that this cool. came out. And you know, I think about the trauma of of repeated injustice that that continues to happen. You you said something about um, looking at law enforcement officers through this kind of trauma-informed lens. And this echoes something that I read in um, Sean Jinwright's, uh, Dr. Sean Jinwright's book, The Four Pivots, where he talks about mm -hmm. how we need to start looking at the perspectives of everyone involved in this in this pain. Um, what does that generational trauma piece look like through the perspective of, of law enforcement, right? Um, so is it that you're saying that they've got they've got trauma also that informs their actions within this um, this this orchard of this rotten orchard that you describe? What how does how does that play out with our law enforcement officers? The last ten days, five LA Sheriff Department deputies have committed suicide. So if that's not generational trauma, yeah. I don't know what is. Yeah. Same for individuals, families. Now yeah. that may lead to alcoholism or it could lead to activism, you know? Yeah. So part of what I'm covering too is activism that either the police are now doing because there's several officers that I've talked to are now really more activists 
uh, and, yeah. and, and telling their stories and what can we do. But they yeah. look and also some of these officers are discouraging their kids not to go into law enforcement because they know what is done to them, you know, because, yeah. yeah, I understand, you know, officer gets on the stand. I'll talk about this in my podcast coming up uh, where you're, you know, gets on the stand and he starts crying. So for me, <laughs> that's an act for the jury. He may have yeah. regrets. Yes, sure. I'm not saying he's sure. a human being, you know, but but you were there that night with nine to 10 other officers and you did nothing to help Elijah McClain. Yep. When Alexander um, Landau, who's part of my film, was yeah. beaten almost to death. Yeah. You had three officers doing the beating, then you had six or seven standing around. Yeah. No one stepped forward to oh. help him. Then you have those same officers, two of those same officers repeating that within weeks against LGBTQ plus community members. Okay. That didn't seem to be any kind of trauma for them, but was it not? Because now they had this hyper reaction to being someone. So did it click in when they grab somebody else now? Well, I've done this before. I can that's do right. it again. So that's, that's you know, I'm not a not a sociologist. I'm not a psychiatrist or anything like that. That's right. I don't speak to yeah. people who might know that's what happens. Does that does that ever go away, or does it just keep clicking in? So you keep repeating. Yeah. So the cops keep repeating that. They keep repeating that, or do they, like I said, mention the five LA uh, uh, LA Sheriff's Department deputies? There's a young yeah. person I hope I can follow up on in Louisiana who may, you may know about who didn't live stream, but had a Facebook post that he was going to commit suicide because he said, I can't take this anymore. You know, yeah. I can't have my people. This is a black police officer. He said, I can't do this anymore. And then he, you know, he killed himself, you know? So yeah. um, it affects everybody. Yeah. Everybody. All kind yeah. of ways. So. The so then that means your kids are left. Yep. Why did my dad or mom or whatever do this to themselves? How did they handle that? They will be in therapy for the rest of their lives. Rest of their lives. If they go into therapy or they'll, or they'll, they'll just repeat some of the, the, the trauma and the pain. Um, because that, that's what, that's what that existence is. I think that's, I think that's so astute because I think that what what I love about this message from you is that it's it's rooted in kind of a universal compassion that this hurts everybody that it hurts all of us and you know perpetrators victims alike but you're also saying that this doesn't absolve them of wrongdoing but what we need right. to do is understand what it is I mean what to understand what it is it leads to these things happening um it's you know you mentioned hypermasculinity. is it the culture of the military is it the culture of fraternities right is it white is the white supremacy it's probably all those things right yes. Yes. um interacting at various times and so i think that's really powerful and it's interesting the 
you know the the whole thing daryl gates gets exposed in the um in the kind of creation of this militarized lapd and then five years later we have um we have the ramparts um corruption case where they're planting evidence and assassinating alleged uh gang members and drug dealers and so what what we see is the the there's a hip-hop lyric i'm losing who it is uh the grave gets deeper the deeper you go down right Mm. it's just we find new ways um you know for this same process to to repeat itself um i got to see the uh the teaser for um for resisting and and folks let me tell you this is powerful this is why it's getting oscar consideration um it is gritty and real while still carrying itself with a heart and a spirit and um you know so um looking for the, the you holly know, is getting considered the holly is getting consideration oh i'm sorry the holly oh okay all right i, resisting, I heard that it, the, it's okay resisting <laughs> is still in the works i'm still looking for still money in the works <laughs> i mean that's so that's that's actually the next question um so before we kind of get into the the fun part um yeah. of the show the funner part of the show the light-hearted part of the show let's yeah. let's call it that yeah. um how do people support uh resisting y'all this is a film that needs to happen and it needs to happen sooner rather than later so how can sure. people support yeah it's quite easy you can go to denverfilm.org and then go to um projects and look for resistings click on the link there and you can give that way you can have a tax deduction okay denverfilm.org and it'll have it'll have um like projects i think it's called projects or something like that yeah click on that and just follow that uh you look for resisting there are you know probably maybe 10 10 projects there yeah. and um look for resisting it could be still called stop resisting but then yep. that way you can you can donate there yeah and uh or, folks or you can, it, so you we... can just hit me up you know yep yeah. So uh, what we'll do is um, we will include the uh, a link to um, to support resisting when sure. the podcast episode comes out yeah, um, so, and you so, all, you know, help out. And if you uh, if, if you want to be in touch with Donnie, let me know and, uh, and we'll get you in touch to to support that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm excited um, for what comes next with resisting i think it's going to be incredibly impactful i think you're going to make it i think you're going to get it get it funded and all that stuff and um you know folks we we gotta step up for this because we keep having the same sort of conversations and and we keep feeling the same pain um because things are repeating themselves so how do we begin to heal collectively is kind of what i hear you saying donnie yes beautiful beautiful yes absolutely and we'll we'll talk about i mean it's not just one group it's all groups you know i'll be speaking to um the mother uh you know indigenous people uh latino i mean it, it it's across the board, unfortunately, it's across the board. Um, so they all be part of it, you know, and then it's not just like, quote, unquote, uniform officers, I have one story where it's a correction officer at home, shoots a young man in the back, young, young Latino brother, uh, 17 years old, uh, in Montbello area in Colorado, um, for no reason. Yeah, really for no reason. And then he goes back and shoots into a car. He gets fired from that. Then he goes and mm-hmm. to another county, and that's part of the issue too. You can go from one place to one place, um, and then shoots into a car. You know, Latinos, you know, 
and I didn't kill anyone, but still could have, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. So cyclical. um, It's just cyclical. Yes, yes, yes. So anyway, just try to bring the light on that and let people. I've promised all the mothers. I'm working with a group called Mothers Against Police Brutality, based out of Dallas, Texas, um, to let them know that their voices would not be silenced. You know. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they that's have beautiful. stories to that's tell, beautiful. and we want to keep telling those stories. And that's what every every family has said: just please don't let my child die in vain. You know, keep their name alive. Yeah. That's why they always say, "Say their names." You know, so yeah, um, yeah. I want to try to do that as much as I can. Yeah, and if there's anything we can do to to help you do that over here in our little uh, Tudo Productions world, we're we're um, so excited to to do that and to amplify a little bit. All right. We're going to, we're going to get to something kind of fun. Um, So we, we, we have our little top five traditions that we do here. Um, (laughs) Some folks do top five rappers. Some folks do, uh, we had someone do top five seeds, their favorite seeds, which was just really interesting. I was like, okay, Okay. yeah. I mean, it was cool. (laughs) It was really cool. Not expected. Uh, We've had top five milkshakes. We've had all kinds of that, but (laughs) you know, I want (laughs) to, and uh, spoiler alert, I think it was, um, I think it was, uh sweet cow that took the top okay. spot in that okay. top five you'll uh y- y'all will hear that episode come out at some point um <laughs> but donnie i want to i want to ha- i want to hear what you view as your top five performances from your time as a performer now you said now you mentioned that you've kind of moved more into directing and producing and yeah. shining a light on these stories so so i want to um, I want to take you back now. I, these don't need to be the ones that you think were the best or mm-hmm. that received the most critical acclaim, but yes. the five that you just enjoyed more than any others. Well, I'm going to start. <laughs> Hard with, question. Um, oh, no, no, that's good. I appreciate it. I'll start with the most recent. I was performing in theater of the mind, uh, immersive first time I've done totally immersive theater. Um, I did an earlier piece um, for um, Denver Center. <clears throat> this was Denver Center production as well, too, as well as David Burns' company, um, where I performed uh, at Union Station. Um, okay. And one, a one audience member, just me and that audience member. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and I would take that audience member and give them the history of trains and things like that. And then I will put them off and lead them until I just had a cover and had a cover. They would do like a, a game at the had a cover, and you know, so it was like that. I yeah. love, but I now, was, did the audience member know that this was coming? Uh, not the second part, just the first part. Okay, you know, they would be <laughs> meeting the somebody. Part. They didn't even know yep. who I was. Here's there'll be a guy. Oh, standing. so interesting. Yeah, I have a guy who's going to have a hat on, and the color of my jacket. That's all they knew. So thank goodness what a lot of people with that that on, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> and you know, if you, right. know Union, you know Union Station, it's pretty, pretty you, you never know what you're gonna see. You never yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. My my right. uh my daughter's gonna lose her mind when she learns that you were a part of theater of the mind. <laughs> like she is going to lose her mind. <laughs> yeah, so theater of the mind is probably right now at the top of it. My second would be uh, the Gospel at Colonus, which I performed on Broadway ah. uh, with Morgan Freeman and uh, uh, the Brooklyn uh, Choir, Brooklyn Radio Choir. Um, 
Robert Earl Jones, James Earl Jones' father, um, and my professor at the time, heard of him. Lee, Lee Brewer, <laughs> who was the, one of the co-founders yeah. of Mabu Mines. So Gospel oh, okay. on Broadway would definitely be there because I got a chance to perform mm-hmm. on Broadway. And the best yeah. part of that was wow. not only performing on Broadway, but I don't know if people know Colleen Dewhurst, if you know that name, a legend in theater and film. Um, but Colleen mm-hmm. Dewhurst, and look her up, you know, because you guys have Google. Yep. <laughs> look yeah, we up. do. Google it. Google it, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I went back, this is when I was in grad school. Um, okay. Kelowna. So I took the train back from New York to New Haven. I went to Yale School of Drama, back to New Haven. And when <laughs> I walked up the walkway, um, Colleen Dewhurst was just getting out of her uh, her play, yeah. which is Long Day's Journey and Tonight. Okay. Um, and I told her that, you know, I got cast and I just did my first show. She said, Welcome to the club. Like that. He <laughs> gave me this big kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love so, it. So, you know, oh, so it, was, it was that she was there. See, Kevin Bacon was there, you know, they were all doing the show together. So it was that was that was beautiful. So performance yeah. was great and that kind of stuff. Um yeah. actually the co co founder of Cleo Parker Roberts Dance Studio just happened to be there that night too. So in New York. So it was Oh a, wow. Okay. Yeah, so it was amazing for me. So those two, and then uh, one of my favorite August Wilson plays is Joe Turner's Come and Gone. Um, yeah. I got a chance to work on that when I was a grad student, but then I got a chance to perform it at the Denver Center some years later. So that would be yeah. my third one. My fourth one was yep. a play I mentioned David O. Jones earlier, has been a great writer, where he wrote a play about Sonny Liston called Sonny. And Sonny Liston used to live in Denver for a while. In fact, my yep. brother, one of the reasons I moved to Denver um, was to be to get to know my oldest brother because he had I'd been gone yeah. from home for years, and he was telling me his sunny story. I said, "What do you mean sunny story? You have a sunny story?" He <laughs> said, "Yeah." He said, "Yeah, you used to live next door." I'm like, "What?" Yeah, I used, what? To, <laughs> yeah I used to ride your nephew, my son, on the shoulders around. So, oh man. Yeah, that's crazy, crazy. So Sonny would be <laughs> That's action. amazing. Yeah. And I want to I want to mention one thing about mm-hmm. um about you playing Sonny. In in my head, I know this is probably not true. In my <laughs> head, when <laughs> when Denzel Washington um when when the when the story of Reuben Hurricane Carter came out, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, that was inspired by Donnie." I'm already going to say this right here. It's, that was inspired by Donnie, which, you know, May not be factual in the traditional <laughs> sense, but in my head, it's factual because <laughs> because that came first. <laughs> I love it. I, I, All right, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> and, I was, and I would say the fifth one would be um, a play that I directed and acted in, very small theater, uh, City Stage Ensemble, uh, the small theater that we I told you about, which the, was in yeah. now, it was on Paris on the Platte, you know, of that area down. Yeah. Which oh is my gosh, yeah. Now. So yep. the theater was upstairs uh, from that, from a player. So the yeah, I remember, that. I remember that. Yeah. And so, um, but I got a chance to do, uh, I, I directed uh, a play um, by Lynn, Lynn Nottage, two-time Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, Lynn Nottage. But then I also acted in a play from a friend of mine from LA. It was me and Lawrence Curry. I mean, you remember that name or not? Uh, yeah. Lawrence, yeah. 
So Lawrence, um, and he go to Manual. He went to where did Lawrence go? Did he go to Georgia somewhere like that? I, f- I feel like it was GW. Smoke, yeah. No, no, Smoky Hill. Went to Smoky Hill. So, oh, okay, not even in DPS, yeah. but that's okay. Oh, yeah, yeah no, it's <laughs> not, we're not mad at it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so in that play, um, I played five roles: not three women and two men. So wow. um, yeah, Knight Commander. That was the name of the play. Um, so oh, that, okay. yeah, so it was a challenge to direct and act in it. Um, so yeah, because the actor had dropped out about a week before performance. So I not only did I have to direct it, but learn the role, um, you know, dialogue wise in a week. So those are my five favorites, you know, I so, love this list. This is, yeah, this is incredible. And, and, and it just feels so cool to know, to actually have had some familiarity with with uh with a couple of these pieces like i had known that you had done gospel at colonus i had known about joe turner's coming on and to this day um august wilson remains my favorite playwright um it like so whenever people bring up august wilson i'm like man i know a dude who was in some august wilson plays and so those (laughs) those those plays just get me a little bit differently um Donnie Betts, thank you for coming on Two Dope Teachers and a Mike. This this has been a beautiful conversation. I so much just, I always enjoy talking to you so much. Yeah, and um, so yeah, it's great. And you know, we got to do more collabs. This is super fun. Yes. Um, yes. so um, how do people um connect with you? Is there a place where they can see your ideas, where they can come sure. and just see the work that you're doing and support it? Yeah, yeah. So a couple of things coming up in February, March. April of next year, spring of next year. Speaking of August Wilson, I'm directing Jim of the Ocean at um, the Royal Fox Theater. Uh, but they can, before that, they can hit me up on my website at nocredits.com. Nocredits right. with the S.com. They can hear my podcast at broadwaypodcastnetwork.com. The show is called Destination Freedom Black Radio Days. Destination Freedom Black Radio Days. And um, yeah, so yeah, so the thing is on Instagram, it's Instagram, I'm No Credits Productions LLC or Donnie Betts or lowercase D O N N I E B E T T S at Donnie Betts. Great, Donnie Betts, that's right. Add him, Uh, definitely go and support this work. And um, the Destination Freedom podcast is incredible. Um, So make sure you give that a listen, y'all. Like, this is such a good, such good stuff. Uh, Donnie, thank you for being a mentor, for being a friend, and for being just a powerful change agent in this city. Um, appreciate you being brave. You, you the best. You the best. And thank you for wearing your nervous gear. There we go. Always. Got to. Oh, it's game time. All right, y'all. This is Darlene Leo signing off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wish you all a wonderful evening. And make sure that you always stay open. Attention, please, attention, please, dedicated educators of Two Dope Nation. As this school year gets underway, now is the perfect time to take control of your financial future. 
We understand that being an educator requires an incredible amount of time and effort during the school year. So now's the best time to prioritize your finances before the school year gets completely out of hand. Am I right? So I want to introduce you to a trusted financial advisor who specializes in working with educators like us. Meet Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors. Alex provides educators with planning for our most important financial milestones. He has a deep understanding of the important strategies related to teachers in our retirement, the school pension system, and retirement programs specifically for us. Imagine heading into this upcoming school year and the years to come with confidence, knowing that your finances are in order. By taking time now to work with Alex, you can lay a solid foundation for your financial goals and secure a brighter future. Don't let the busyness of the school year hold you back from achieving your financial dreams. Visit Alex's website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash tudope, spell out, to schedule an initial virtual consultation. And here's the best part. Mention the discount code 2DOPE during your first consultation to receive a 25% discount on their subscription-based financial planning packages. Take this opportunity to invest in your financial well-being before the school year kicks into high gear. Click the link in the description section of the podcast for more information about Alex and Cetera Investors. Remember, your financial success is just as important as your student's success. Let's start the school year on the right financial foot. Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRASIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC. California Insurance License Number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra, CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203, Monrovia, California, 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306.